Welcome to Texas Ag Today, a daily look at the latest news in Texas agriculture. Texas Ag Today is produced by the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network with the largest farm news team in the Lone Star State. Now here's the host of Texas Ag Today, Carrie Martin. Hello, Texas. Thanks for joining us for Texas Ag Today. Of course, the weather continues to dominate the news. We see a big delay in wheat harvest here in Texas, thanks to all the rain we've had over the last couple of months. And it's causing some sprouting in certain areas of the state. And if you've had farm and ranch land in your family for over 100 years, there's a recognition out there you can apply for. We'll have the details on that coming up. My name's Kerry Martin. I'm your host, along with the largest and most experienced farm news team in the Lone Star State. And we're all standing by to bring you the latest news in Texas agriculture. From the Piney Woods of East Texas to the Rocky Ranges of the Trans-Pecos. And from the Panhandle down to the Rio Grande Valley. So, who's using all that data? I'm James Hunt, and on this edition of Texas Ag Today, I continue my series on the West Texas Mesonet, a very important weather information resource for the Texas High Plains. The importance of surveys for buyers and sellers of rural land. I'm Tom Nicoletti, and I'll have that story on Texas Ag Today. As things begin to warm up in Texas, plants can be affected by heat stress. Please join me, John Begno, as we talk about the effects of heat on plants. We'll have those stories, plus Texas wildlife news and a complete look at the markets all coming up. Longtime Texas farming and ranching families have a bit more time to apply for recognition. Jessica Domel has the details. Texas farm and ranch families now have more time to apply for recognition through the Texas Department of Agriculture's Family Land Heritage Program. TDA recently extended the application deadline to July 1st to give families more time to gather the documentation needed to apply. The Family Land Heritage Program pays tribute to families who have kept their land in continuous agricultural production for at least 100 years. Eligible farms and ranches must be owned and operated by the descendants of the original founder, either through blood, marriage, or adoption. Interested farm and ranch families can apply at texasagriculture.gov. Click on the tab that says News and Events. Again, that's texasagriculture.gov. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Domel. There is a lot of wheat across Texas that's ready to harvest, but it's still sitting in the field because it's too wet to get a combine in. And that's causing problems with wheat sprouting in the heads. Darby Campsey is with Texas Wheat Producers Association. So at this point, uh, elevators that have gotten loads of wheat in that have had sprout damage uh, has not been severe at all. Um, I do believe we are seeing quite a bit of sprout damage uh, in the corridor between Waco and Dallas-Fort Worth. Um, That area really was ready to be harvested and then just did not get a break from the rain. And we are seeing some very severe cases there, but we do not know yet how severe. Um, As far as coming up north um, and especially into our soft red winter crop, we're just not sure at this point. And all we can hope for is that it will stop raining and producers will have the opportunity to cut uh, before any more damage is done. The latest Texas Crop Progress and Condition Report released on Monday shows 30% of the Texas winter wheat crop now harvested. That is well behind the 55% five-year average pace. 
Information provided by the West Texas Mesonet serves many important purposes. James Hunt tells how from Amarillo. As we talked about in our previous report, there are currently 135 sites collecting weather data for the West Texas Mesonet, which was created by Texas Tech a little more than 20 years ago. In terms of who's utilizing all the information gathered, Wes Burgett, Mesonet's operations manager, says farmers access Mesonet data a lot. Especially when they want to spray the cotton in the fall or plant. They're worried about rain, not having enough rain or too much rain to plant. That's the two big uses. But every time it's going to rain, there's a lot of use. As we all know, farmers are certainly always interested in weather information. But through its role as part of the National Wind Institute at Texas Tech, Burgett says the Mesonet is also involved in wind analysis, including helping wind companies do some fine-tuning at their operations. A few improvements here there can make a huge efficiency difference on those wind farms. The wind energy industry is definitely a big player in the Texas High Plains. Beyond helping ag and energy producers, Burgett says the West Texas Mesonet is also involved in trying to help keep everyone safe. My background is weather, and a lot of what I'm trying to do is to help the National Weather Service with warnings. We give them direct feed of all the data every minute, so they're constantly getting our data to help with warnings. And this time of year, it's very important with severe weather. Mostly what we're giving them is wind, and then especially with flash flooding, we give them rainfall reports too. So before we were along, all they could really do is call somebody in the community and hope they were there and could give them some weather information. But now they're getting automated real-time weather information. So what does it take to assemble a Mesonet site? We'll talk about that in our next report. I'm James Hunt on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Surveys are important when buying land here in Texas. Tom Nicoletti has more. My guest today is Tyler Jacobs with Hall & Hall LLP. He is broker partner out of the College Station area. And uh, Tyler, we're going to talk about the importance of surveys, what they are, why they're important, and how they work. So let's begin with what are surveys. Texas is one of the oddball states that does not have a true public land survey system. So the public record does not contain a comprehensive drawing of all land parcels. Instead, we depend on the recording of the legal descriptions of individual properties, which are used to describe the ownership or possession of a piece of Texas land. But most people need to understand how or when or why they do need to acquire a survey. That is useful for both buyers and sellers of land. And uh, useful and uh, very important when a transaction uh, is about to occur. So explain the importance of having a survey. For a buyer, the single most important thing to decide whether or not you need a new survey is the boundary itself and understanding whether or not that legal description actually describes an enclosed description. So the boundary actually closes when it is described as going around the property. Any property with an older survey, one that you know maybe a couple of generations old, even though maybe it hasn't been built on or nothing has been sold, sometimes those older surveys just need to be redone to make sure that the property that is being purchased has a proper legal description to make sure that it doesn't create problems moving forward when you may want to borrow money for that land or you might want to mortgage it for a house or you want to defend an issue in court. So we're looking at many things like 
where the fences are located on rangeland and on improved properties. How do the improvements relate to the boundaries? And is there a possession issue with a neighboring property? All of those things surveyors describe and lay out on the drawing that is associated with the legal description. So every new survey will have both a drawing and a legal description. One is for exhibit purposes and one is for public recording purposes. I'm Tom Nicoletti with the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. It is hot all across Texas right now, and that can have a big effect on plants in the landscape. Horticulturalist John Begno has an update from San Angelo. Well, if you're like me, you're not really ready for the heat that we usually have in Texas, as most of us are not, but we see signs of it already over a hundred in places, and it just, it invariably is going to happen. If we put new plants out because we lost a lot of plants in the in the freeze, you can expect these plants to struggle a little bit when temperatures get above a hundred. What typically happens is plants lose water through their leaves to cool themselves off. But when it gets excessively hot, a lot of times these stomates or openings on the bottom side of the leaves actually stay closed, and we see temporary wilt, and we see plants can struggle, especially new plants whose roots have barely gotten out of, let's say, their container or their ball when they were planted. So a couple of things to remember is water, of course, is very important. You can actually syringe, cool the leaves down with water if your water quality is not salty or jippy or bad for leaves. And you can also put mulch around the root systems. And if you haven't done that yet, that's a good idea. On these container plants or bald and burlap plants, you put two inches of a hardwood-type mulch, and you keep it away from the trunks themselves, but that keeps the ground cooler. It allows the moisture level in the soil to remain pretty constant. And when you do water, you don't lose a lot of it to evaporation. So that is a very important step on doing that. If you're mowing yards in excessive heat, remember that if you go off on a vacation and you come back and you take a lot of the top growth off, it's a stressful situation under normal circumstances. Just think of how it is when it's 100 degrees or near 100. It's very hard. You can actually get sunburn of those runners and leaves underneath. So don't do that. Try to do frequent mowing. We always get the question, what about fertilizing when it's hot? And you know, as long as you've got water and you can apply it, in abundance, in other words, not a short period of, uh, of without water, then the answer is yes. If you're trying to get grass to thicken up and cover, if you're trying to get annuals and perennials to continue to bloom, of course you can fertilize as long as you have plenty of water when it's 100 degrees. This is John Begno reporting from San Angelo. A legend in quail conservation is moving to a new position. I'm Jessica Domel, and I'll have details on Texas Ag today. And weather changes have been blamed for colic in horses for years. Texas veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd has more on that coming up next, right here on Texas Ag Today. Texas Farm Bureau Insurance has protected fellow Texans with auto, home, health, and life insurance since 1952. With more than 260,000 square miles of land and 27 million people, that's a lot to cover. Whether you're wrangling cattle or wrangling kids, we're proud to protect Texans in all Texan ways of life. Visit Texas Farm Bureau Insurance today at tfbinsurance.com to get insurance for Texans by Texans. Coverage and discounts are subject to qualifications and policy terms and may vary by situation. 
We're keeping you informed on everything happening in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. Changes in the weather have been blamed for colic in horses for years, but is there an actual relationship between the two? Veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd takes a look. Colic is the leading cause of death in horses, so we would like to be able to predict when colic episodes are more likely to occur. Because of this, a group of vets at the University of Pennsylvania tracked barometric pressure as it related to colic cases. Barometric pressure is an indicator of weather and has been associated with various medical conditions in humans and animals, including an increase in sudden death syndrome in human infants and an increase in humans with gastrointestinal disease. Low barometric pressure has been related to onset of premature labor in women and increased psychiatric visits as well as an increase in violent crime. However, the study did not find any association between barometric pressure changes and colic in horses. Season was found to be related to an increase in colics as the number of colic cases were decreased in the winter and weather changes, especially with cold fronts, were found associated with colic. Horse owners in a Texas study reported weather changes within three days of a colic episode were common. But it is believed that it is not just the weather, but the human management changes that may have increased the risk of colic. It is believed that housing, feeding practices, and water sources caused by the change in weather may actually be the cause of the increase in colics. Cold temperatures have been associated with decreased water consumption and an increase in colic cases due to dehydration that results in dehydration of the intestinal contents. That's today's Texas Vet News. Thanks for listening. I'm Dr. Bob Judd, and this is the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. A legend in Texas quail conservation is moving to a new position. Jessica Domel has the details in today's wildlife report. After guiding the Rolling Plains Quail Research Foundation for 14 years, Dr. Dale Rollins is handing over the reins. Dr. Rollins, a legend in quail conservation, joins us with more. And I'm turning it over to a young man that I helped to recruit and train, Mr. Brad Kubechka. Assumed to be Dr. Brad Kubechka. He's completing his PhD at the University of Georgia right now. And he will be taking the helm of the Rolling Plains Quail Research Foundation and taking us into a new era of conservation for quail at our facilities. Uh, we're also excited to announce that we're building a new office complex and a research laboratory on site at our research ranch west of Roby in Fisher County. And uh, if, if you've ever met Brad, you know that he keeps it in four-wheel drive all the time. He's a dog that hunts hard and always looks good doing it. So so I couldn't think of anybody better to step back and hand the reins off to than Brad Kubechka. Dr. Rollins won't go far. He says he'll continue to play a role in quail conservation. I'll stay on with the Research Foundation as a director of outreach. Extension has always been my first love and my, my skill set, if you will. So I will continue to work with the Research Foundation. We're going to try to bring new life back to a couple of programs that I worked with when I worked for AgriLife, those being the statewide quail symposium and a program called Quail Masters. We started that back 10 years ago. It's an adult version of the Bob White Brigade, quite popular. And so we hope to be offering that again beginning in 2022. That was Dr. Dale Rollins from the Rolling Plains Quail Research Foundation. He says he will still continue to host his podcast, Dr. Dale on Quail, with TFB Radio's Gary Joyner. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Domel. It's been a good week so far for the cattle market. Tuesday saw another day of triple-digit gains in both live and feeder cattle. 
We'll update all of our livestock, cotton, grain, energy, and financial markets coming up next. Keep it right here on Texas Ag Today. Did you know that one out of every three mouthfuls of food we eat is produced by insect pollination, most of which is done by bees? In fact, bees are vitally important to food production. That's why modern agriculture is working with beekeepers to promote bee health. Ensuring a sustainable food supply requires each of us to play our part in preserving the land and protecting pollinators. This public service announcement is brought to you by Syngenta. We're giving you the market information you need on Texas Ag Today. It was another good day on Tuesday for the cattle markets, both live and feeder cattle futures, ending with triple-digit gains. June live cattle up $1.85 to close at $121.22. The August up $262, $123.90. October live cattle up $1.82 at $128.62. Feeder cattle finishing strongly higher. August feeders up $222, $156.82. September feeder cattle up a dollar eighty-two at one fifty-eight sixty-five. The October up a dollar forty-five, one sixty oh two. Cash fed cattle market all quiet on a Tuesday. No bids reported from the Packers, but we do see the feedlots asking one twenty-two and higher this week on a live basis. Up north, they're asking one ninety-five to one ninety-seven on the rail. Boxed beef prices lower Tuesday. Choice down eighty cents, three thirty-four sixty-seven. Select down four seventy-eight at two ninety-eight sixty-three. Now let's check the auction barns. We're walking the pens with Larry Marble. When you hear the auctioneer sound off, uh, we're talking to Russell Heller from Lexington Livestock Commission Company. He and his auctioneer sell them on Saturday. Russell, how was that sale? Yes, sir. We had 792 total head with 155 cows. Well, walk the pins with us. All right. The thinner cows, 38 to 58. Then the better cows, 59 to 82. On the steering bull cage, 3 to 400 pounds, 120 to 190. 4 to 5 weights, 115 to 182. 5 to 6 weights, $1.10 to 160. 6 to 7 weights, $1.05 to 151. 7 to 8 weights, $1 to 140. On the heifers, 3 to 400 pound heifers, 110 to 165. 4 to 5 weights, $1.05 to 155. 5 to 6 weights, $1 to 150. 6 to 7 weights, 95 to 137. 7 to 8 weight heifers, 90 to 130. Good deal. Now, what were your buyers setting their targets on? Uh, everybody I was looking, there was mostly 4, 5, and 6 weight calves, so everybody's kind of buying those right now. And is there plenty of them coming to town? Yes, it is. You're starting to see more and more every week, it seems like. Good deal. Now, you told me last week that people were trying to make some hay. Has any of it dried out enough to where they've got it in the bale? Oh, yeah. They've been belling hay for a week now, so it's getting it's getting dry. Now, Russell, I understand you've got a cow group coming this next Saturday. Yes, we do. It's going to be about 40 Brangus and Angus Cross cows. Uh, they'll have black calves, and they're going to be probably three to eight-year-old cows. So the majority of them are still going to have some good years left in them? Yes, they will. Most of them will be three, four, five-year-old cows. Good and deal. There'll probably be 20 to 25 pair out of that. All right. That's great. Well, tell everybody how to get a hold of you for this week's sale. Yes, sir. You can get me on my cell, and that's 979-820-7002. And, neighbor, if you call old Russell Heller, tell him you heard about him from Larry Marble and Walk in the Pins, a production of the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Thanks, Larry. Back over to the futures market now. We're lean hogs closed mixed. July hogs up 27 cents, 118.50. 
August down 10 at 114.70. Class 3 milk was mixed also. The June contract unchanged, 1725 a hundredweight. July milk down 33 at 1714 a hundred. The cotton market ended higher after that big drop we had on Monday. Traders watching the West Texas weather forecast wondering what effect it's going to have on newly planted cotton in that part of the state. Of course, we know we've got those triple-digit temperatures that have been going on since last week. The 10-day forecast looks really dry right now, so hot and dry for the next few days. It would seem that a hot, dry forecast is exactly what the crop needs right now, but nonetheless, we closed higher with July cotton up 33 points, 85.28, the October up 73, 87.61, December cotton up 67 points, 86.80 cents a pound. The corn market was mixed, the old crop higher, new crop lower, July corn up eight and a quarter, 667 and a half. September corn down six and three quarters, five ninety one and three quarters. December corn down seven and a half, five seventy three and three quarters. The wheat market finishing lower. July Kansas City wheat down fifteen and a quarter, six twelve and three quarters. July Chicago wheat down thirteen at six sixty one and a half. Rough rice was lower. July rice down nineteen cents, twelve thirty one a hundredweight. September rice off 21 at 12.57. Soybeans finishing lower. The November contract dropping 21 and three quarters, 13.73 and a half. July soybean meal down a dollar fifty, 3.72.40 a ton. In the energy markets, July natural gas was down 12 cents, 3.23. July crude oil up a dollar 35, 72.23 a barrel. And we'll wrap things up with the financial markets. The Dow down 94 points, 34,299. The NASDAQ down 101 at 14,072. The S&P 500 down 8 points, 4,246. That'll do it for our markets, and that'll do it for this edition of Texas Ag Today. Don't forget, we'll be right back here tomorrow to bring you all of the latest news in Texas agriculture. My name's Kerry Martin. Hope to see you then right here on Texas Ag Today. Thanks for listening to Texas Ag Today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. For more Texas Ag news and information, check out our website at texasfarmbureau.org or tfbradio.com. Texas Ag Today is a production of the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network.